Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Carlsbad podcast. Today's message was taken from our 10 a.m. service. If you'd like to join us in person, you can get more info at our website at calvarycarlsbad.com. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Yeah, verse 1, starting verse 1. Then when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, uh, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Um, These women were present at the crucifixion, and their names were noted there as well. Um, And so they they had seen him crucified. They knew where he had gone, and they're making sure that Jesus is buried properly. That's what they're doing. So they bought these costly spices to be able to make sure that he's buried right because what, what had happened, Jesus died. They were, they were speeding up the process, and a lot, a lot of the, the, or the other ones being crucified, they were making sure that they were dead before Passover, because, gosh, we wouldn't want to break any of the laws, as they're killing the Messiah. And so they pulled them down quick, and they put them in a tomb quick, because you got to be in before, you know, sun goes down. So they, they go, and they bring Jesus in. And so they're going to go back, and they're going to try and do this right. I don't, there's not really an indication that they know what's going to happen next at all because you see words like marvel and amaze and you go, they were not thinking this was going to happen. So they saw this and they're coming back. They don't know what to do. They're, so they're just going. They're, they, they don't have much hope at this point. So that's actually what we're going to talk about in our message is, is li- a living hope, the idea of hope. And actually I think we should start off by saying hope, hope is not... Um, Hope is not what we think it is in a biblical context. For us, hope is kind of like a wish. Like, I hope I get what I want for my birthday, you know? Or, I hope I have a nice day. Or, I hope I have a nice life. Or, I hope one day I get a Ferrari. You know, whatever, you know? This is all hope, right? But hope was more like expectation. Things, something you haven't seen yet, but you're expecting it to happen. Now, what is the expectation that's happening at this point? Not much, They don't have much hope. There's an absence of hope. Why? They're confused. There's a confusion that's going on, and they don't know what to do. So what are they doing? They they don't have much hope. They just want to be near and honor who Jesus was. And they're probably extra confused because he was just such a cool guy, and they saw him heal people, and they saw him confound the wise, and they saw him... The Pharisees, which were the religious rulers at the day, could not pin him down to anything. He was wiser than any of them. And they're like, how on earth did it end like this? Confusion. No hope. Have you felt where hope enter, leaves the building? Oh, it's crazy. There was a, a study done. Um, I, where it was, a, it was a guy who was a doctor, and he was part of the uh, concentration camps. And he noted those who were able to make it to the end and those who, who weren't. And um, the ones that made it to the end had a hope that was beyond the circumstances. They, were, they had an ability to hope beyond what they could see, and they had like something that they were holding on to that seemed really, really concrete. Uh, and one of the guys had... Uh, felt like he had gotten a prophetic message or whatever that the war would end on a certain day. And as it was drawing nearer to that day, it wasn't, he could see it was not ending. And uh, as the story goes, two days before, uh, or the day before the day he'd predicted it, he ran, started running a fever. 
The next day he got really sick the day after he died. Hope was gone and so was he. Hope is a really, really important thing. But I, I just want to make it really clear. Jesus didn't give us something that we can just kind of hope and it's like a wish. He gave us some concrete stuff here. So it's not like hope without any backing behind it at all. So that's the really good news. But at this point, they did not have hope. They're just trying to be where Jesus was. And they're trying to make sense of it. By the way, there will be seasons like this where you think that things aren't going well and it doesn't look good. And all we've got to do is give God time. And just be near him. I don't know what's happening. It seems like my whole world is up in arms. I don't know what they did the right thing. Because they went to be by Jesus and to honor Jesus, even though it made no sense at all, to, to, to see what he would do. That's part of like what Abraham's righteousness was. Faith. It was faith that was the, the righteousness that Abraham had, right? He trusted God. That when he's 90 years old, hey, you're going to have a baby. Well... Actually, 100. How in the world is this possible? And then what ends up happening? Because he trusted God, because he obeyed, because he had faith beyond his circumstances, God provided a way. So what we do, we need to do is, even when things get confusing and messy and gnarly, the gnarlier and messier they get, the more closer we need to draw near to God and just give him time. So these women are there, and they're ready to give him time. They're not sure at all what's going to happen. So they, I mean, they're actually like dealing with some real practical issues. What do they say? They said among themselves, who's going to roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Like, uh, have we thought about this? How are we even going to get in there? You know, this is real, real practical issues. They're not expecting to see Jesus alive and they're not expecting to see that tomb opened. Uh, verse four, but when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Yeah, I'll say. We know, especially from other passages, this is an angel. And anytime there's an angel, there's an alarm issue. But I'll say a glowing person sitting where a body was supposed to be would do it for any of us, right? So uh, even though, it, and, and it's important to know, even though Jesus has consistently shared that he's going to rise from the dead. Three days later, none of his disciples seem to get it at all. They're all defeated. And we're going to see they're, they're way defeated. What's interesting is, we see if we look at the account of Matthew, because we've got the four Gospels, the three synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we have John. And, and as we look at the other Gospels, we get like kind of the whole picture of this, because there's different you know people who saw it in different ways, you know, from different eyes and perspectives. Mark, uh, Matthew 27 tells us that the Pharisees had asked Pilate, you've got to guard his, his tomb. You want to know why? We heard he was going to rise from the dead three days later, and we want to make sure, we want to make sure that, that his disciples don't come in and steal him, or, or his followers don't come in and steal him, and then basically say, you see, he rose from the dead. So there were soldiers involved. We actually see that even after that, they tried to bribe the guards when they were told that, nah, man, that guy is gone. He's out of there. So what did they try to do? Instead of the evidence at hand, they tried to bribe the guards so they didn't go any further. Say, tell them that they stole him. I mean, you've been told that he rose from the dead and you're like, we still got to cover up our story. We're going to stick with it. We're, we're going down with the ship. 
You ever been in arguments like that where you're just going down with the ship? You realize three points before that you were wrong, but you're like, too late. I just am not going to stop at this point. I'm driving the point home, and I'm going to win this argument, and then afterwards I'm going to have to tell them that it's not true because, yeah, because there's such a thing now as Google, right? It used to be like, you know, whatever, Brofax or whatever. You're like, well, okay, sure, man, sounds good. And now you're like, I'm going to check that. Nope, this is not a season for the storytellers, is it? So although they're not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead, the message had gotten across to the Pharisees. They knew about it. But you can understand that they were, I think that his disciples were so thrown off by what was happening. They did not know what was coming. And, and it rocked them to the core. So much so that everything that they thought they knew, everything that they'd heard, it was like all up in the air. You know when something gnarly happens or something chaotic happens and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know what to do. I remember um, it was a, there was a, our our neighbor's baby was like, um, you know, whatever. Or no, that was a different time where you need to call 911 and you're like, what is the number? (laughs) 991, you know, it's because when you're, you, you get so worked up, sometimes you're like, I don't even know how to do this. Nine, nine, yeah, I don't know. That's why they say, uh, you know, if you're in case of a crash, put your thing on first and then help someone else. Just calm down, put it on, and then go help somebody else. So you can see that they're in a, in a really gnarly state here. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. All these prophetic messages, all the prophecies being fulfilled. As Jesus himself said, I'm going to rise from the dead. He was. He was. So for hope, right? We have abandoned hope or, or uh, not abandoned. Yeah, absence of hope because of confusion. We have a reason for hope. It's going to be in the evidence. He didn't leave us without a witness. So he's not calling us to blind faith. A matter of fact, I, I would encourage you, if you're skeptical of the, of the resurrection, study it deeply. Many men and women who have been skeptical of the, of the resurrection that actually put in the time to go and do the work came out believers. There are so many historical evidences for this. And, and, and it's not like oh, well, then you don't have any faith. No, the, our faith is, is not meant to be in nothing. Why does the angel say to him, go and look, go check it out. He's not here. See the place where he laid him. By the way, did the angel need to move the, do you think Jesus was in there like, when's the angel gonna show up to move this stone? I think sometimes we get that picture like, oh, good, he's here, he can let me out. I was getting so stinking claustrophobic in here, man, you know? Do you know what we see about Jesus as in his ascended state when he's uh, walking or resurrected state? As he's walking, he like shows up inside of locked buildings. He's here and then he's not here. I think it's actually a picture of what the resurrection bodies are going to look like. He eats. He's enjoying life. He's allowed to, he's around. I think it's a glimpse of what we're going to have. You could be known and seen. It's, it's taste and see. What are we going to do in heaven? There's going to be a feast. We're eating. Is that good news or what? 
How good, new, how good is the news that there's going to be food in heaven? We're not these floating orbs of like, you know, you know, just kind of singing with like glowing halos and like playing a harp. Oh, wow. So fun, you know. And I believe that that would be amazing. If we're in the presence of God, nothing else will matter. But you remember, he's going to create, he's going to restore and bring back a new heaven and a new earth. Things will be made right. Eden, garden, restored without sin. Oh my goodness, is this good news. And this is the kind of hope that we really put our hope in where we go, man, I've been dealt a rough deck here on earth. And man, things just keep getting worse. Well, our hope is in the fact that this ain't it. And so when we're able to re recognize that this is not all that it, that it will be, we can actually be effective here on earth, which will in turn give us more joy and more peace while we're here. Isn't that good news? But if our eyes are so fixed and focused on this, it's going to get scary. What happens when the stock market... <laughs> There goes your joy. There goes your peace. There goes your whatever. What happens when you know, the housing prices are up, up, down, whatever? If we don't have our hope in Christ, if our hope isn't in eternity, what is it in? We know this. But it's not a blind faith. It's not a blind hope. There is a reason and an evidence for this hope. See this place. Angels there as a witness. See the place where he laid. He's not there anymore. You're going to need to see this because you're going to need to remember this. And we give, you know, Thomas a hard time. And he's like, I'm not trusting him until I touch him. I don't think there's a problem with that at all. It's like, man, I needed to touch him. That was my thing. Well, I, I was, uh, grew up around the church and in the church and all that. I never really had a real relationship with God until I was out, out of high school and I started questioning everything for myself. But I remembered saying, like, if he's real, I'm all in. If he's not, I'm all out. Because I just don't want to play games. I don't think it's fun enough to do religious weird stuff. I don't think it's cool, man. I don't think it's cool to like try and act like you're something when you're not. But if he is who he said he is in the Bible, and then we're supposed to be those people that we see transformed by the good news of the gospel, then I'm in for that. But you got to show me, God. And you know what he did? He showed me in like so many different ways. And it was in tangible ways. That's why he says, seek, knock, ask. I, I, if, you, if you come to me, I will listen to you, and I will make a way for you to see for yourself. God is insanely personal. That's why this message isn't, like, it's important to understand. Jesus didn't die on the cross for, like, all of humanity, like, in a big lump, like, oh, they're all, I got them all in there, you know, whatever. I, there's some good ones, there's some bad ones, you know, whatever, just kind of like, eh, I don't know, whatever. But because he's a God, not like, uh, he's not like us, he's a God who's omnipotent, omnipresent, you know, uh, able to, omniscient, He's, he's above everything. He's, he's everywhere at all times. He knows each one of us intimately, and he created us, as we know from Ephesians chapter 2, as his workmanship, his poema. We're his workmanship, we're his masterpiece that he's created for good works. So each person in here was created with a divine purpose and divine design that if we're united with Christ, walking out with our hope being him, and then living as he called us to with his kingdom principles in a kingdom that doesn't look like that, we're going to find our hope and our peace in our life. This is good news. So we have the good news of eternity with, heaven, in, with him 
New heaven, new earth. Oh my goodness, cannot wait. I think we'll still be playing softball, you know? For those surfers, you know, you guys do, you do your thing, you know? For everybody, whatever it is. You know, like, let's, let's have fun. We're all going to hang out. But then that, with that in mind, with that in light, it gives us our identity. It gives us our purpose. It gives us our hope. And now we can live here well. Right? How do you survive a Nazi concentration camp? Your hope's outside of the place. So if your hope's outside of it, you're able to see it for what it is and to be able to minister and work even in the roughest of conditions. Un- unbelievable. Who wants that? No one. We're not claiming it to be simplistic or anything like that. But time and time again, and church history has shown us that believers have made it through ridiculous, gnarly trials. Many have been martyred as they're smiling and looking to God. What's the story about Stephen? As they're throwing rocks at him, they said his face looked like the face of an angel and they could not handle what he was saying anymore. And he's saying, forgive him, God. This is, the, this is what hope looks like. And as the world gets more and more tumultuous, we're there. We're gonna need to find our hope somewhere else. So if you're exhausted and you're hopeless and you've been trying to find it somewhere else, man, you're in good company you will not find what you're looking for if, you're, if we're trying to build here on earth. Our treasures are in heaven. So they say, see the place. Look. So the angel says, see the place. Jesus didn't need the angel to open the tomb. He did, he did this and had the angel there so that his followers could see this was a verifiable event. And he's going to continue to meet each one of them. And what does it say? He says, go. He's going before you. Go and tell the disciples. And who? Peter. Why is that important? What has Peter just done? My boy Peter. We're related for sure. You know? Like, Peter's just messed up bad. Hey, Peter, um, by the way, you're going to... Um, you're going to forsake me three times. Yeah, right. No, I will not. I will die. And he's like, you will be scared of a little girl. <laughs> so now he says, hey, go get the disciples and also get Peter. But you know what? He knew Peter needed this. This is why, guys, you feel like a failure. You feel like you've blown it. Did you, you know, did we say we didn't know Jesus when he was dying on the cross. I mean, you're talking about a guilt trip. Man, that one's going to keep you up at night. You know when you make mistakes and you're like, dang it. You know, like I, I do that. Like I'm in the shower. I'm like, ah, why did I do that? You know, or whatever. It might be as little as popping up in a softball game, you know. Why did I swing at that pitch? But I, could you imagine like I, I kind of made a mistake today. I um, forsook the Messiah three times after I said I wouldn't. Well, he says, no, go tell Peter. I want to see him. And we know Peter's going to be a major part of what he does to build the church. So he says, "Go before Jesus has gone before you. Go and tell everybody. So they went out quickly, verse 8, and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So in our theme of hope, we see ambassadors of hope those who've experienced it, and then now tell others about it. That's what an ambassador does, right? 
We're talking about like we're ambassadors of the kingdom. We can't talk about being ambassadors for Christ if we don't know Christ. If you're an ambassador of a nation, it means you're from that nation and then you represent that nation. They are ambassadors of hope. These are the witnesses. They've experienced it first and foremost. Now they go and tell it to others. At the end of this chapter, which we won't get to this part yet, but it's going to give the great commission to go and make disciples, to preach the, good, the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what the witnesses do. This is what ambassadors of hope do. They go and spread the good news of the gospel. Here's what you've experienced. This is what you go and tell. And that's why it's important for us that we have uh, a heart to evangelize those who we know. You might not want to be a street preacher or whatever. I don't personally want to be either. But we can talk about what we know and what we've experienced, how God has brought hope and life to us. We share that as ambassadors. So that's what the women are told to do. So using the women's names, as we see multiple times, these women's names, you go, why do they keep on saying the names of those women? Why? Because especially back in this time, the oral, uh, an oral account was held higher than a written one. Why? Because this was like, a citation. This was like a cross reference. Like, go, go check for yourself. This was the reference. They're alive. Talk to them about it. Ask them. Celsus, who was a Greek philosopher uh, and a major, major proponent of Christianity, or, or not proponent, antagonist towards Christianity. He was against it. He did not like it at all. One of his most, his, what he thought was like the the you know hammer in the co- nail in the coffin to Christianity was the fact that this account was given to women. You know I'm serious, okay? So you got to understand this is important. Sorry, ladies, you got to understand the context of which how God did this, and and then we want to look at this and say, oh, it was all kind of written, you know, to make it work or whatever. Absolutely, no one would have ever written it with this with the mind of uh, of a first century Jew. No way. This is what he said about women. One of the arguments he believed most telling went like this. Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women. And we all know women are hysterical. And many of Celsus's readers agreed for them as a major problem. In ancient societies, uh, women were marginalized and the testimony of a woman was never given with much credence. Well, what do we know now that this is ridiculous? And, but what do we have? The fact that they gave account to this, and it would have never been how they would have written it. You know what else wouldn't have been written? That the, the disciples who are now going to build the church had no clue what was happening. I mean, they're the ones writing it, right? Let me tell me, when you tell a story about what happened back in the day, how do you tell it, you know? How big was the fish? How many home runs did you hit? Right? Oh, we didn't have a radar gun, but I'm sure it was 100, you know? It's like these videos that say, Nolan Ryan threw 109. You're like, I don't, maybe, I don't know, maybe. You know, we didn't, they didn't have the gun on him. I, you know, who knows? 100 and something, whatever. But it's like, you know, you don't tell stories that are so, like, what's the point? No, it was honest and it was real. They didn't believe Jesus was going to be risen. And then to give the account to the women, Jesus is 
was bringing them into the conversation. Jesus was affirming them in that, in that place. And they, no one else would have thought that was a good idea at all. It was never have been done. The only way this happens is if it's a real story. Like you, you would have to see it to believe it. Who, who would ever come up with this kind of a story? So they wouldn't have written this story at this time. Verse 9. Now when he rose uh, early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. So this is Jesus, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they had heard that he was alive and had seen, been seen by her, they did not believe. You want to know how little they believed that Jesus was going to be risen from the dead? Even their, their friends that were hanging out with them that knew Jesus, they weren't believing it when they were saying it to him. They had no clue. What an embarrassment for them, right? After that, he appeared to another form, uh, uh, another, in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him and uh, seen him after he had risen. So they didn't think it was going to happen. They didn't believe other believers who saw it happen. The road that he's talking about is the road to Emmaus, right? And that's in that story is in Luke where he's like, there's these guys walking, all of a sudden Jesus appears, it says in a different form, so he doesn't look like he normally looks, in some sense, who knows. And he's like, why are you guys sad? <laughs> and they're like, are you, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that doesn't know what just happened? Do you, are you clueless? And you're just like, oh, be careful, boys, you know? <laughs> and they said, like, we hoped this guy was the Christ, and now he's dead. Even some have said that he's risen, but he's not. And then Jesus says to him in verse 25 through 27, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning him. You know what that means? This has all been a plan for a long, long, from a long time ago. God has been making the way from the very beginning. And Jesus says, guys, look back. It's all right there. And then it says he stays with them. They said, You're, they were like blown away by what he was saying. They said, stay with him. And then he breaks the bread and all of a sudden their eyes are open. They're like, what? That's him. And then he's gone. <laughs> you, you gotta love Jesus, man. He's like tr always tripping everyone out. That's why when you have someone saying, I know exactly what you're like, whoa, <laughs> Nobody seemed to know what he was doing here, you know, but it was always better than you thought. So he's our, uh, we're ambassadors of that hope because of what we've seen. They would all eventually see him. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 tells us this. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So Paul's saying, I'm giving you what I got. That's why we don't give you something better. This is the good news. And the church has become so weak and anemic in so many ways that we've gotten away from the only thing that saves us and makes us different from the rest of the world. And we become kind of like nice people and, you know, here's blessing on your life or whatever. We need this. According to the scriptures, we need the gospel. We need this story. We're going to see right here. 
that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and then after that he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he's seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Um, These people were witnesses and they were alive at this time. Over 500 eyewitnesses. I always love to go to this passage in Easter because there was over 500 eyewitnesses, many of whom were willing to die for this. I saw a funny video on social media and it was like a reenactment of the disciples and they like, we've got this idea. Let's pretend Jesus is alive. It's going to trip everyone out. It's going to be so good. And we're going, to, we're going to act like he rose from the dead. We're going to say that we saw him. And it's going to be really good. And everyone's going to believe it because we're going to have said it. And they're like, okay, cool. We're, I'm in. So what are we going to get out of this? Are we going to get money or what? What is it? And they're like, no, we're going to die. They're going to kill us for this. And they're going to put us in prisons and jails. Okay, um... Well, okay, cool. Um, so wait, where's the good part? What's the good news part of this? So we're going to tell everybody something we know isn't true, and it's going to end up where we're getting... Why would we do this? The answer is they wouldn't, but these disciples and the believers who were, by the way, largely divided before this, under seeing or after seeing the resurrected Messiah were now unified in purpose. And they were willing to martyr. They were willing to die. How can this be? You know why? Because God has not left us without a witness of what he's done. One, we have examples of history. Jesus was a man. Jesus did live. Jesus did claim to be the Messiah. Which is, by the way, means he cannot be like a good teacher and an overall cool guy if he claims to be the Messiah and he's not. That is called a liar. And that's the, the... this is C.S. Lewis. He's either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's Lord. So he's either a liar or he's crazy and you shouldn't follow him anyway. Or he's really the Lord. So these people who are scared of any form of persecution and divided immediately now are willing to die for the fact they said Jesus rose from the dead. Historically, this is, we have a lot of evidence for this. You have more questions, we can, we can go through it. We can even help, help you ask the questions. What about that? What about that? I needed to be convinced of this myself. So he's not left us without an ability to see. But the importance of the resurrection is everything. So we don't just come together and be good little boys and girls and, you know, learn how to not cuss on church property um, and learn how to tell our kids to not tell the stories that we don't want them to tell when we're, you know, in public. No, we are dead men and women that have been made alive in Christ. We don't want to make us a little bit better. We need full-on transformation. So Paul, in in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 12 says this, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Which was a thing at the time. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. 
if in fact the dead do not rise. And if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then uh, also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. That's if the resurrection doesn't happen. And he's talking about the resurrection of Christ, and he's talking about our resurrection. Dead men come back to life. We need resurrection. And don't you know it? You know you need something new. You know you need a new creation. You know you weren't doing this on your own. And so God wants to come in and to restore us to relationship with him and to give us a new heart. The Old Testament talked a lot about when one day the time would come, Jeremiah talked about the time would come where our hearts would go from stone to hearts of flesh, where we'd be able to walk with God, where we'd be able to have a relationship with him, where we'd be able to be walking with him again without, without the separation, right? The Mosaic law, under the law, you know, the temple, the tabernacle, God could dwell with them, but it was behind the curtain. What happened when Jesus died? The veil was torn in two. It says, now you have access. And we're reminded in Hebrews, which we're going through Hebrews on Sunday mornings, join us next week, 10 a.m., is that we have a great high priest now, a great high priest that sympathizes with our weaknesses. He gets it because he went through all of it. So now the high priest who used to make a way in for the people and God to have a connection, now through Christ, through his blood, like the blood on the doorposts in the Passover, now we have access and are safe before a holy God. We now can have access and we can come boldly, it tells us, come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy. 1 John 1.9 tells us that, you know, we're, all of us are sinners, we're all sinners. We say we have no sin. We're a liar, and the truth isn't in us. But we, uh, if we're uh, faithful to confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. Or if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And how does that happen? He cleanses us, and he gives us the righteousness of Christ. Jesus made the way. He made the way. What do we do? We accept it, and then we believe it. Our minds are changed. That's repentance. When we believe that this is the way, that this is our hope, then we stop putting our hope in other things. By the way, that's what most of the sin we see today is hope in other things. Handcrafted idolatry. I don't want to come the way you said, but Jesus is the high priest. And if you were to go back to the law, you could not get into the Holy Holy without the high priest doing everything exactly right. It made a way, but it was very, very, it was a thin way. In the same way, Jesus is the way to salvation. So we can't do it any other way. But this is good news. Because this is not a works-based thing. It's a works-producing relationship. Because your life has changed and transformed. And because when your hope is in the right place and you recognize you're now part of the body of Christ, we're now kingdom ambassadors, we get to tell people the good news. We get to be as experiencers of hope, givers of hope. If you want that hope today and you've never asked for it, you can. That's the good news. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16, it's the football verse, right? For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, right? It's 17. But through him we would be saved. We could be saved. 
We could be made new. We could be born again. So it's, it, we become justified by what Jesus does. Then we're, we're transformed by the renewing of our hearts and our minds. And then we're sanctified and God starts to work in us. And he removes these things that we think we don't want to let go of, but they find out they're actually toxins and cancers that are ruining and sucking the life out of you that you think you need to hold on to so tightly. And he says, please take that away. You're like, whoa, I can breathe. And then ultimately, we're going to be with him forever. Glorification. New heaven, new earth. What a hope. And what an amazing story. God, throughout all these years of history, has given us this opportunity to come to him. He's so good and so gracious and so patient and so long-suffering. And if the Holy Spirit, which is who was living in Jesus, and he said would send the helper, we see it at the book beginning of Acts. If, if you receive the Holy, or if you're feeling a prodding from the Spirit of God speaking to your hearts, I would say, listen, and watch him transform your life. My life was transformed like 23 years ago. And... Um, Long story short, no one thought I'd be a pastor. Get it? Okay. Um, and most of the people I know are like that. <laughs> and it's just because God loves to show off at what he can do with a life that chooses to trust in him, that believes in the hope, and that then sticks around and waits for him to move and do really cool stuff in our, on our behalf and in our lives. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more info on the church or ministries we offer, head over to calvarycarlsbad.com. Thank you, and God bless.